So today we continue our journey through some stories in the book of Genesis, uh, some stories that perhaps aren't the most familiar ones, the most recognizable ones, uh, the ones that we hear the most often. Um, so, so we're calling this series this summer, The Lost Stories of Genesis. And if you're new with us today, uh, here in person or online, or if you've been traveling, which I know some of us have been, uh, in and out, and you've missed the previous couple of weeks, this is week three in the series. And so far, uh, each of our stories has included, as a major figure in the story, the person of Abraham. Um, he's, he's a figure that looms large across the pages of Scripture. Um, and today, we're going to take one more look at a story that involves him. But again, it's one that may not be all that familiar to you. But as I was thinking about Abraham and particularly this, uh, this passage we're going to look at today, I was thinking about a song that I'm guessing at least a few of you sung at some point along the way, either at camp or in a children's ministry program. And I see Marissa getting ready over here. She's loosening up because it is a, um, it is a full body experience, right, Marissa? Um, so, so how many of you remember this song? Father Abraham has many sons, or kids, many sons, has Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm. Okay, yeah, you guys got it, right? And then he goes on and on, right arm, left arm, right leg. Anyway, so you get the idea. So that song, uh, I'm guessing that when the composer wrote that song, um, he or she was thinking particularly about or based it on something that we hear in the 15th chapter of Genesis, verse 5, uh, where God promises to Abraham, in spite of his disbelief, um, because Abraham is already well into years of maturity and he has not had any children and so he can't imagine how at this point in his life he would have children, but God promises him, Abraham, trust me, you will have many. In fact, he says this, look up at the sky and count the stars if you think you can count them. And then God continued, this is how many children you will have. Now, so we are able to, as people of faith, kind of incorporate ourselves into that story by faith and through metaphor uh, that we're not literally children of Abraham, but we are figuratively as part of the faith that is handed down to us through the line of Abraham that then goes through Jesus as we read the genealogy of Jesus at the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew. But today's passage takes a look at some of the literal children the bloodline children of Abraham. And I'm guessing some of the ones that you may not remember or realize are there. Now, if I were to poll us as a group, I would imagine that most of us could name at least one son of Abraham. And that one son that we probably mostly could name would be Isaac, right? And I'm guessing that a fair number of people would probably be able to name a second son, Ishmael, right. But there are a lot of other sons 
And today we get to take a look at those other sons and children. In this passage, we will learn about children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So the 18 verses that I'm going to read for us today actually walks us through three vignettes, um, each of which is a story in and of itself. But I think there's a thread that runs through these three that's important for us to be able to hear as well. And so we're going to stroll leisurely through the passage this morning because I want us to stop and linger along the way and listen to what we are hearing. And so, a heads up up there in the booth um, that, that I'm just going to kind of meander through the passage today. So, just hang with me, if you will, and you all hang with me as we take a look at this. Um, before we do, let me invite you to take a moment and pray with me. Come Holy Spirit and breathe life into the words that I speak, that they might carry a word from you into our hearts and lives on this day. Amen. So, chapter 25 in the book of Genesis begins this way in verse 1. Abraham married another wife named Keturah. Now, to locate this, uh, if you were here last week, you know that Catherine preached about the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah, Isaac, one of Abraham's sons. And in in the reading of Genesis, this is the very next thing we come to. Sarah has died. She has been buried in the field that Abraham had purchased for that purpose, the family plot, if you will. Um, And now we hear that Abraham married another wife named Keturah. I bet some of you never knew that, named Keturah. And then the story continues, having named this woman. Names are important. Names are meant to be remembered. Then we hear this, the children... Uh, which literally would be the sons that she bore him were Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Six more sons. Not one, not two, eight at least sons. Then the passage continues, Jokshan, one of those sons, became the father of Sheba and Dedan. And then as we continue, we hear that Dedan, one of those grandsons, sons, were Ashuram, Latushim, and Laumim. Midian, one of the other sons of Keturah, Midian's sons were Ephah, Epher, Enoch, Abida, and Eldah. All of these were Keturah's sons. Now hit the pause button there for just a moment. It's striking to me that in this moment, the narrator chooses to say, all of these were Keturah's sons. Yes, they are Abraham's, but the narrator makes no mistake in making us aware that these are also Keturah's sons. And that there are six sons, there are seven grandsons, and four great-grandsons that we have just learned about in these verses. Yes, indeed, God, who spoke to Abraham in the 15th chapter of Genesis as we read it, about a promise for many children is fulfilling that promise right before Abraham's 
very eyes. And then after hearing about all of these family members that are now a part of Abraham's family tree, we get to verse 5, which stands in stark contrast to everything that we have just heard. Abraham gave everything he owned to Isaac, one of the many stands to inherit everything. And then verse 6, which sounds kind of like a, a, a parting gift or a, or a consolation prize, says, to the sons of Abraham's secondary wives, Abraham gave gifts, and while he was still living, sent them away from his son Isaac to land in the east. So, just think with me for a moment what it might have felt like to be one of those other children of Abraham. Think about what it might have felt like to not be the chosen one, to not be the one who is on the receiving end of everything that their father owned. This is where the first vignette ends. And then we move to the second one, beginning in verse 7. Abraham lived to the age of 175. Abraham took his last breath and died after a good long life, a content old man. And he was placed with his ancestors. Think about that with me for a moment. Isn't that a gift that we would all hope to have at the end of life? To be able to look back and say, it's been a good life, and I am content. You know, Abraham's story is one that is complicated and at times conflicted. There are certainly powerful examples of his faithfulness and his obedience and his sacrifice in offering his life to God and in following God's lead on his life. And there are times when God probably was just shaking God's head at Abraham along the way. But through it all, Abraham is able to look back at the end and see that it's been a good life. What more could we hope for ourselves, right? So, having heard this news that Abraham has died, then the narrator tells us a very remarkable part of the story. His sons Isaac and Ishmael buried him in the cave in Machpelah, which is in the field of Zohar's son Ephron the Hittite near Mamre. Now the last time we heard anything about Ishmael in the story was back in Genesis 21. And it's in Genesis 21 that at Sarah's direction, insistence, if you will, Abraham sends Ishmael and his mother Hagar out into the wilderness with the intent that they never return and never come near her and Isaac, her son, and her family again. And yet here in this moment, Ishmael comes back. He comes 
home to stand alongside his brother Isaac in order to bury their father together. Imagine what that must have been like. And then the story continues and tells us a little bit more. Thus Abraham and his wife Sarah were both buried in the field Abraham had purchased from the Hittites. Ishmael comes back and joins Isaac in burying Abraham beside the woman who had sent him away years ago. And after Abraham's death, God blessed his son Isaac, and Isaac lived in Bir Lahai Roy. Now, let me pause there for just a moment and tell you that there are sometimes words and ideas uh, and things that pop up in Scripture that if we don't know what we're looking for, we will totally miss them. Alice Person, our Director of Music and Worship Arts, just returned a couple of weeks ago from an archaeological dig. Um, and she was digging for fossils with the guidance of um, her brother-in-law who does that professionally. And, you know, if you go digging for fossils, you're going to miss it if you don't know what it is that you're looking for. And it is that way sometimes in the Scriptures. So, Isaac lived in Bir Lahai Roy. The place where Isaac settles is the very place that Hagar, Ishmael's mother, named at the moment when she was, what she felt like was on the brink of disaster. When she is out in the wilderness, God comes to her and reassures her and comforts her and says, I know that things look terrible now. But trust me, Hagar, your son Ishmael will be okay, and he will be the father of many descendants. And in that moment, Hagar refers to God as El Roy, the God who sees. Because in that moment, God saw her pain, saw her suffering, and comes and comforts her. And now, Isaac, the other son, will take up residence in that place. And it is here that the second vignette comes to an end this morning. Then we get to the third one. And where we might expect that at this point in the story, we've heard about Abraham's death. And so, now let's get on with the story that we heard about last week, Isaac and Rebekah, and learn all about Isaac's life and his family's life. But first, the narrator of Genesis has us linger a little bit longer with the other members of the family. These are the descendants of Ishmael, the Scriptures tell us, Abraham's son, whom Hagar the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore for Abraham. Man, every one of those words is loaded with intention and meaning. Ishmael, don't forget anyone to the listeners that are hearing this story, is Abraham's son. Oh, by the way, don't forget everyone, his mom's name is Hagar the Egyptian, Hagar, the one who was Sarah's servant, which is a reminder that Hagar 
had Ishmael in the first place because Sarah, when she didn't believe that God would provide for a son through her, told Hagar to go in and be with Abraham so that she could bear a son on her behalf, bore for Abraham. Ishmael is an important part of the family and of the story. And then we hear about his family. These are the names of Ishmael's sons, by their names and according to their birth order. Nebaioth, Ishmael's oldest son, Kedar, Adbil, Mibsam, Mishma, Duma, Masa, Hadad, Tema, Jetur, Nafish, and Kadima. Twelve sons. Indeed, here we see and we read the evidence that God, just as God was faithful to Abraham about a promise for many descendants, God has also been faithful to the promise made to Hagar that Ishmael would have many descendants. And then the passage concludes, these are Ishmael's sons. These are their names by their villages and their settlements. Twelve tribal leaders according to their tribes. Twelve tribal leaders. Sound familiar? The twelve tribes of Israel. And also we have the twelve tribes of Ishmael. And in the end we hear this about Ishmael. He lived to the age of 137. He took his last breath and died and was placed with his ancestors He established camps from Havilah to Shur, which is near Egypt, on the road to Assyria. And he died, get this, among all of his brothers. Ishmael is not forgotten, nor will his family be forgotten. So what do we take away from these vignettes and this passage of Scripture this morning, I would encourage you to spend some time with these 18 verses. Listen to it more on your own and what it might have to say because through the gift of the Spirit, we can, whenever we come to Scripture, hear a lot of things that may be helpful to to us in our growth as followers of Christ. I want to offer one takeaway from each of the vignettes this morning, and then one that is more of an overarching theme that I see through all three of the vignettes. From the first section, the part about Keturah and her children and the descendants through that part of the family, and particularly through that stark verse where we hear about Abraham giving everything he owned to Isaac. Favoritism leaves behind a legacy of pain and dysfunction. Some of you, many of you in one way or another, have experienced this in your own life. Perhaps in your family system, or maybe in a workplace, or maybe in an educational setting. And maybe you've been on one side or the other of it, but you have encountered what favoritism looks like. 
and how it can leave behind a trail of disappointment and hurt and dysfunction. What we know as we continue reading through Genesis is that this pattern of favoritism will continue. What Abraham models, his children and his grandchildren pick up. And so when we get to the story of Isaac and Rebekah and their children, we hear that Isaac had a favorite, Esau, and Rebekah had a favorite, Jacob. And the result of that is tension in the family, and ultimately, Rebekah and Jacob playing a trick on Isaac in his old age in order for Jacob to receive the family blessing and birthright rather than Esau. And then in Jacob's story, Jacob has 12 children. And Jacob picks a favorite, Joseph. And perhaps you remember how that plays out His brothers don't like it, understandably, especially when he flaunts his favorite uh, status in his father's eyes. Remember that he got a very special coat that none of the other brothers got? And he's out flaunting it one day in front of them and talking to them about how they're all going to bow down to him, and the brothers sell him off into slavery. Favoritism leaves behind a trail of pain and dysfunction. From the second vignette, where Isaac and Ishmael come together to bury their father, we can see in this story that sometimes humility is the path to the healing of our families. What must it have taken in terms of courage, in terms of self-emptying, for Ishmael to choose to go back to this place that had caused so much pain in his life and to stand alongside Isaac in burying their father. Sometimes in our family systems, it is when we choose to let go of the resentment, the pain, the harboring of ill will for someone else who has wronged us so that we can be the agents of healing and reconciliation with others. From the third vignette, where we hear the story about Ishmael and all of his children who are birthed through his line. Blessing doesn't have to look the same for all of us. So can we notice, can we look for the blessing as it comes? The blessing for Ishmael that God had promised to his mother Hagar doesn't look exactly like the blessing that Isaac receives. And yet there is blessing. Ishmael becoming the father of many descendants. What would it look like for us to dive in and look for the blessings in our own lives at those times when we are tempted to look at the blessings of others and feel envious or jealous 
to instead bring our attention back to where we can sense that God is at work bringing blessing on us. And how does that then reshape the way we live out of that sense of blessing? And then there's the thread that runs through all of these stories. That in God's story, every life matters. The naming of another wife, the naming of other children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, that naming that the narrator of Genesis pauses to make sure we hear in this chapter of the story matters and is a way of saying to us that none are forgotten. And that's good news for us, isn't it? Our lives matter to God, every one of them. Every one of our lives matters. God loves us. We have all been created in the image of God. And as we see this as good news for us, can we also treat it as good news for others? even those who may be different, very different from us. And so I think an invitation that grows out of that recognition of the story today is for us to not get so caught up in our own story that we fail to honor or value the stories of others. I believe that God is pleased when we honor each other's stories Because the one who sees us, Elroy, the one who saw Hagar, the one who saw Ishmael, the one who saw Keturah and all of Keturah's children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren, sees us and longs for us to also see each other. And perhaps even For those of us who are familiar with our own story being at the center, to step aside and to allow other person's stories to be centered for a while. The exact thing that we see happening in the life of Jesus. When he comes and he hangs out with the people on the margins and he draws them into the center and says, this is good news for all of you. The good news that I come to bring is good news that is meant for everyone. There's a hymn that is one of my favorites in our United Methodist hymnal. It's one that we've been singing some at the eight o'clock service recently. And I wanna just close with some of the lyrics from that hymn this morning. Help us accept each other as Christ accepted us. Teach us as sister, brother, each person to embrace. Be present, Lord, among us and bring us to believe that we are ourselves accepted and meant to love and live. Lord, for today's encounters with all who are in need, who hunger for acceptance, for righteousness and bread, we need new eyes for seeing, new hands for holding on. Renew us with your spirit, Lord. Free us. Make us 
one. By the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us, may it be so. Amen.